the Bible has a lot to say about community, and the New Testament in particular, but also in the Old Testament. God is constantly referring to his people. He's constantly referring to uh, the people he's chosen, um, more actually in the New Testament than the Old Testament, but at the same time, he refers to my people, etc., etc. Community is very important to the Lord. Family, if you like. We are a family. We are the children of God. We are a community. I just want to read a few verses. It's got quite a, quite a number of scriptures, and I want to pick some stuff out of it as we go through. But it's, it's consistent throughout the Bible. Now, first I want to uh, look at Ephesians 4, uh, 25, we're starting at. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy, Holy Ghost with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Quite a lot to take in, really, isn't it? I mean, that's just one section um, of the New Testament. It's absolutely full of how we respond to one another, how we act, our relationships. My family is a family of grudge bearers. If we were hillbillies, we'd be having a feud that goes back 200 years. And it's quite hard coming up in that culture to change the attitude. I find myself, even now sometimes, thinking, what have I got to do to respond to that? Or, you know, oh, they've upset me. You know, I've got to do something to, 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 to sort it out. Which is the world's way. It's always the way of, you know, sort of tit-for-tat things, um, making sure that, you know, I'll get them back or I'll show them and all that kind of thing. Even recently, you know, um, odd things have happened, not, not in the church necessarily, but things outside with uh, other people that, you know, professionally or other things like that over the last couple of years. And it's easy to build up a bitterness, easy to build up something where you're frustrate, frustrated, you forgive them nominally in your head, but you carry that thing through and it keeps repeating and repeating. It's there in the mind. When you see that person, again, it comes to mind, and you start to think, oh, I need to do something. You know, it's, they're getting away with all sorts of stuff and all that kind of thing. We don't let it go. We don't give the forgiveness that we need to do. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to do as a church family, as a community. I want to run through these verses. I'm going to come back to them, but I want to look at... Uh, some other stuff as well. The main thing here, the verse I want to pick out is verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Anybody have a thought on that? What's grieving the Holy Spirit? It's one that we pass by quite quickly sometimes. Sorry. Make him sad? Think we can upset the Holy Spirit? 
Well, it says we can, doesn't it? It said, don't grieve him. We must be capable of grieving him. Let him down. How do you, how do you grieve him? Why is it in this context? What's it about? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit in this context? Yeah. 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 Moving into holiness. You see, without holiness, we can't function as a family, as a community, because we're too diverse. We're too different. We'd be falling out all over the place. We have to be able to accommodate one another. We have to be able to be gracious to one another. We have to behave in a kingdom way which we've done a lot on the kingdom in the past, about how it's a topsy-turvy thing. It's a way in which the first or last we've heard before, you know, the ones who want to be in charge are not the ones who become in charge. They're the God uses the weak things of this world. All of those things that are totally opposite to the world, that's the things we have to adopt and make part of us. And that's holiness. That's appropriating what God has already done for us. So we put off falsehood. We speak truthfully, you know? There's a thing up in the office, I don't know if anybody's ever noticed it, at uh, the old library, and it says, um, is, it, is it true, is it kind, and is it necessary? They're quite good things in terms of what we say to one another. All the verses I've got here, almost all of them, talk about encouraging one another and not bringing one another down, not trying to get their own back, not... See, psychologically, sometimes people think that by bringing someone down, they'll feel better. They actually feel worse. And that's the way the world works. Newspapers can't wait to build someone up and pull them down again. You know? They can't wait for people to get their comeuppance. We don't behave like that. We want everybody to be uplifted. We want everybody to be encouraged. So put a falsehood. That's, that's all kinds of falsehood. That's putting on the front. Okay? That's um, pretending to be pleasant and nice instead of dealing with the issue. And they can be genuinely pleasant and nice to people. If there's an issue between two people, it says, there, don't let it last till, the sun, no, till after the sun's gone down. That's a good, it's always quoted as a good marriage thing, which mostly we've done, haven't we? Um, <laughs> it might have been two o'clock before the sun went down, but in the morning. But... Um, it's not a good thing. You know, put something off. Always have an argument in the daylight hours. Don't wait till the middle of the night because it's a far worse argument. Just like if you're worrying about something, try to get to sleep because it always seemed worse around about two or three in the morning when we're at our lowest. In your anger, don't sin. So we can get angry about things. We can get angry about fair trade. Well, not about fair trade, you know, but you know, things that are unjust things which are wrong, you know, things that grieve the Holy Spirit, things that in this world 
um, people take advantage of other people. We can get angry about those things, but don't sin in that. You know, we could be very angry about some of the things that have happened, for instance, over the co-op with the landlord, you know, acting, I believe, in an unrighteous way. But we're not going to sin in that. We're going to deal with it in the Lord's way, which may not be the way of the world. We've been urged to do things wrongly, to do things the way of the world, make a big fuss of it and go all political and that. We won't do that. We'll do it in the Lord's way and whatever the Lord says. So we don't steal. We don't sin in our anger. We don't lie in any way, shape or form. And we look for our true motives. We ask the Holy Spirit to come and discern between what's of us and what's of him. And sometimes we'd be surprised if we actually do that. And we can make up all sorts of excuses for why we don't do something that's the right thing. I may have said this before, but I I visited an acquaintance of mine when I was in America some years ago now, who I'd met previously and who I'd seen in this country and everything. We were quite friendly. And he had a grievance against somebody. And the grievance was largely in his head. He felt that they'd done something wrong or not respected him in some way. That's probably the better way. They hadn't given him the due respect. And so he... I said to him, how's so-and-so? Oh, we don't talk anymore. Oh, why? I said, well, he hasn't come and spoken to me. I said, well, why don't you speak to him? Well, the fault is entirely on his side. Have you spoken to him about, you know, does he, does he say there's a problem? No, he's totally unaware of it. But until he comes and apologizes, I'm staying here. Now, that guy was a pastor of a church, which now doesn't exist anymore. And he still sits at home waiting for the guy to apologize to him. You know, that's a bit extreme, maybe. But sometimes in our hearts, we've kind of got that attitude. But let them come and apologize to me. It's their fault. It says in the Bible, if your enemy sins against you, go to him and speak to him or her and try and sort it out. You know, quite often we'll meet with a, a great response. I, I know that it's, that it's got to be the Lord because some people in the past who maybe have said things or done things wrong, nobody here, all right? I mean that, nobody here. I've come to me, and they've said, I'm sorry for what I said. And does. Oh, maybe you should then. <laughs> no. Anyway, I've come, I've come to me and said, no, I, I did wrong, etc. I shouldn't have done that. And I know I've let it go. You know? Sometimes the enemy brings it back, and it's a niggle. I think, no. And also, you don't, forgiving isn't forgetting. We'll do that uh, necessarily. Um, we'll do that on another day. But you know what? Whenever anyone said that to me, I've had no problem just letting it go with them and just saying, honest, you know, if forgiveness is needed, it's there. I've never had that problem. So if you approach your enemy or the person who's hurt you or wronged you, we'd be surprised in most cases if it can be reconciled very, very quickly. And maybe a little cry and a hug and everything. You know? We need to let it go. And this works between us. This allows us to become more like Jesus, which is what holiness is about, isn't it? Without holiness, we can't exist, I said, as a community. But without the community, we don't really have anywhere to practice the holiness. I mean, we can be holy outside and different with people and that sort of thing. But when people who know you really well, people who we're really closest to, when we're family, that's the hardest, isn't it? That's the most difficult to be holy in, to be like Jesus. I'm going to move on. Um, quickly, 
we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin in ways that cause discord, really, um, when we cause splits. Jesus said in John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. That's how we grieve the Holy Spirit, by not doing that, by not having that unity. Because the Holy Spirit is the agent, if you like, for bringing us together. And so things that cause discord between us will grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, God always um, has been interested in us as a community. He speaks to the community. So in the Old Testament, just a random verse almost, uh, but fairly well-known one, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, they remember that, does anyone remember the, uh, the musical, If My People? And it was always on at uh, 7.14 in the evening when they had it so you wouldn't forget the verse. And I've never forgotten that verse. I have forgotten two chronicles, but not 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But it's my people who are called by my name. That's us. Okay? And in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Interesting. God considers community, his people especially, to be important. We express the kingdom of God as we grow in our, well, the process, um, I think most of you know, we refer to as sanctification, being more like Jesus, appropriating what he's done for us. As we said before, holiness is something that God bestows upon us but we have to live in it. Just like when the Lord saves us, we have to live in the freedom of that. And we don't always. We forget that the prison door has been opened and we just stay in the prison because we're used to it. That's how we've always been. And we forget that Jesus has set us free. Holiness is about doing things differently. Being different as God is different. And therefore, we do things differently as a family. We forgive one another. We don't hold grudges. We do those things, those positive things, and try not to do the things that are negative. I think the kingdom of God is important. I think sometimes people confuse the church and the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, the church, if you like, is, if you like, is a kind of custodian of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes all believers, all people who trust in Jesus, Jews or Gentiles. And a lot of the confusion, a lot of the arguments that people have between, oh, well, does this belong to the Jews? Is this the Gentiles? And sort of arguments like that. If you think kingdom of God, the argument disappears.
Also, we have 10 values, don't we, as a church? Are you all going to reel them off? Uh, you were looking. Oh, what? We're looking. Okay. Outward looking, yes, that's number eight. Anyone try one to seven? Generosity, that's number four. Relevance, always relevant, number nine. Humility, yes. Teamwork. Teamwork. Teamwork, last one, actually, but very important. Compassion. Compassion. We're getting there. Excellence. That's the first one. Excellence. Pardon, ham sandwich, that sounds right to me. Transparency. Oh, transparency. Sorry. We have, yeah, openness. Ham sandwiches. Oh, fail there. Um, transparency, yes. Uh, have we got that? No, it's openness. It's openness it, and transparency in there. Anything else? I do. I've lost count. Um, equality. Gratitude. You said humility, didn't you? Sorry? You said humility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well done. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm the best of us. <laughs> I know. I'm the most humble person I know. Um, I think we've got it all. Openness, outward looking, relevance, teamwork. All of those, every one of those has an element of community in it. When you read through them, and every one of those, we were very careful when we first drew them up and we discussed them, are biblically based. All right? We are a community, whether we want to be or not. If we sit at home and we say, ah, oh, fed up with the church, if the church has hurt us or whatever, we have to go back to a church, not necessarily the one that hurt you, but we can't do things in isolation. The enemy will pick us off. No matter how strong we are, we just sit there, sometimes in our bitterness, and just build up walls around ourselves. What a waste of a life. You know? Let it go. I had another joke the other day. as a headline, a fake headline, actually. I said, um, Christian mountaineer in hospital after letting go and letting God. Anyway. <laughs> well, they're getting slightly better. <laughs> um, Practical things to preserve the unity of the, of the community are there throughout the Old and New Testament, as I say. Have a look, um, well, we'll have a look on the, on the bullet. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 14. Often these things are towards the end of the, the various letters that Paul writes in particular, or Peter. Um, but they're throughout the, the way. But often he's going, he's saying, don't forget this, don't forget that. Make sure, you know, say hello to so-and-so for me and you know, greet all the brothers here, there, and everywhere. So, another passage, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Actually, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Finally, brothers and sisters, I think I've got the wrong verse here, actually. Um, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. This is now 2 Corinthians. I've missed out the reference to the previous one. Um, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another and be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That reminds me of another joke. All God's people have sent their greetings. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What's the difference between a holy kiss and an unholy kiss? 30 seconds. <laughs> anyway. I got my fan at the back there. Great. Thanks, Matt. Or is it just we've got the same low level of humor? Yeah. Interestingly, twice in, in the first passage and in the second passage, we've got the word strive. We've got strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And strive for full restoration. That means perfection or holiness, actually. These are the only two places in the New Testament where we're told to strive. And it's not striving to be holy. It's striving in the, in the context. It's striving to put yourself in the place of holiness so that God, you can again get to that place where you can acquire the practical aspect of who we are in Christ. We won't do those things, those lies, those slights, those things that cause disruption and disunity. You know, anywhere in the community, not just one-to-one, -one, but groups of people staring one another up, or you know, one person takes one side, one takes another side. That's why Paul was very keen. You know, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Christ. They were probably the biggest religious ones of the lot. They were causing disruption. Yeah. So he's saying strive to keep the unity. And the best way to keep unity is do what's good for one another. Do what's good for everyone. Think of the general good. Be a servant. Be self-sacrificing. And the Lord sees that. And it's not a case of, oh, I want a reward. I want to be recognized. It always says, you know, pray in secret and the Lord who sees you in secret will answer your prayers. You know, get into your closet or quiet place or wherever you go and do things in secret. Put your, your gifts in, in secret. Not if you're uh, giving gift aid, by the way, just let us know who you are. But you know what I mean? It's the Lord that sees it. We do it for him. If we want recognition for the good things we do, we're actually doing it for ourselves. But in the topsy-turvy kingdom, we are actually doing it for ourselves because the Lord lifts up those who humble themselves. But we don't do it with that motive. We do it because we love the Lord and we love one another. And that doesn't mean necessarily we like one another. You know? Or we like one another's style. And funny enough, if we start to love one another, a bit like a, an arranged marriage, we can actually learn to love one another and to like one another, at least a bit. We all have friends. We all have people we're closer to. We all have people who are more like us. Or we like the contrast between us and somebody else. So that's a natural thing. But we are told to love one another. And that transcends whether we like one another or not. Just a couple more verses. Rid yourself, it says in 1 Peter, verse, uh, chapter 2. Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander, of every kind. Like newborn babies, who don't generally bear a grudge, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Grow up in your salvation. Hmm, I think we've had that before. Another way of saying sanctification. Moving to 
holiness, appropriating those good things of the Lord. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. In uh, 1 Peter 2, 16, a little later on, it said, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Don't you use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. I can do whatever I like. I've, all my sins have been forgiven. So I can behave as badly as I want. It says very clear in the Bible, we are set free so that we can choose whose slave we want to be. Are we slaves to Jesus? Or do we remain a slave of the world and the devil? But we don't have the freedom or the license, if you like, to carry on doing the stuff that we were doing before or to being selfish or to using that as a cover-up. And it comes back to motivation again for things that we really want to do. So we can be all nice and hypocritical and very lovely to people and stab them in the back. That's not why we've been saved. And that's not why we're part of the family. So again, let's just check our motives. Are we doing this for our own selfish reasons? Are we saying, well, I'm free, I can do this, that, and the other? And we are, it's true, we can. But is Jesus behind it? Is it going to benefit others? Is it going to encourage others? Or am I just indulging myself? Sometimes we're doing things and we don't realize that's a different thing, and the Lord will tweak our conscience. I remember once I was getting up to preach on something, and the pastor of the church I was at said to me, oh, don't beat them up. Now, there was all sorts of sin going on, things in the background, and I wanted to address this and just say, guys, we need to sort this out. Not in any condemnatory way. I hate condemnation in that way. I hate people using um, guilt, you know, guilt trips and, and stuff like that because that's not of the Lord. You know, he came to set us free. But there are times when we really have to say, this is wrong, stop it. And that's what it says in the Bible. And it's about admonishing people. Admonishing isn't something where, you're not, it's not something you do lightly. It's not something that you shouldn't do. Because we want to be okay with one another. And sometimes straight talking is the best way. Two more verses. 1 Peter 1, there's a lot in Peter actually. Um, 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, it says, Now you have, been, you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. But it's, it's actually the word there is a pure heart. All right, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. But the emphasis again is on, on, on love for one another. And love is the key and that love only comes as we become more and more like Jesus, as we live out the holiness that he's bestowed upon us, as we put ourselves in the way of God's holiness, in the way of his salvation, that we grow more like him. And therefore, we can live as a community far better. You know, in a good marriage, you serve one another. You all know this because you've all got good marriages, but in a good marriage, you serve one another and you don't think of yourself in that sense, you know. But if you're both doing that, you both benefit because each person serves the other person. 
and they work to their strength, so it's a partnership. And that's what we're like. We're like a family. We're all married together, if you like. We are able to promote one another, but in promoting one another, we get promoted by others. And if everybody is promoting everybody else, if everybody's putting everybody else before themselves, if everybody is self-sacrificing, then we all benefit. And we all rejoice when we all succeed. And we all help one another when we fail. And there's no condemnation because there's the love of God. And that's what we want to see grow more and more. And we want to deal with issues quickly. We want to deal with stuff where there is a, a falling out or a... Or or sin that's come in for whatever reason. Let's deal with it quickly. Let's own up. And let's live as the family of God. And one last verse. Again, Peter, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, Repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you might inherit a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we are proud to be your people. We are blessed. We are grateful. And we love one another because, ultimately, you loved us first. Father, bind us together. Make us more of a family Help us to show the world that you are real, Lord, because that's demonstrated in the relationships that we have. And may that relationship with one another flow out into the world, that the world might be healed, that your kingdom might be extended. And we'll do our part, Lord, in ushering in your, your return and your glorious recognition, Lord, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord.